I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity and lover of your souls. Have you ever been out walking down a familiar road, maybe walking the dog or soaking in the sunshine or just clearing your head when suddenly, out of the corner of your eye, you see something out of place, something unfamiliar? You wonder what it is, but it's hidden from you. There's a wisp of color, an unusual sound, and the presence of curiosity or fear rising in the hairs on the back of your neck are your only clues that there is something just beyond the well-trodden path. But what is it? Do you go down the road less traveled, or do you continue walking down the street that you know? This morning, Moses is sidetracked on an ordinary day in the place where he lives and is drawn inexplicably toward a burning bush that is not being consumed. Do you remember the last time you found something like that on the Metro Parks Trail? <laughs> I think probably not. But I do wonder if you've ever experienced a road less traveled on the proverbial trail of life. One of those moments that gave you pause and signaled you to a necessary redirection. Maybe it was the birth of a child at an unexpected time, or a marriage to someone your family did not expect. Your first step into the infusion center to receive a medical treatment for an illness you never imagined you'd face, or the moment you had that surprising realization that it was time to leave the job you thought you'd retire in. Everyone travels on an unexpected road at some point, and every turn of the road less traveled seems endlessly winding when we first begin to walk it. The unknown journey heightens our senses as we ceaselessly scan for signs of danger and hope. On this path, the deafened ear develops excellent hearing. Some become so attuned to what will happen next that they hear a call to become someone new. That's what seems to happen to Moses. Today's Old Testament reading is often referred to as Moses' call story. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, he could not travel both. Long he stood and looked down, once as far as he could, to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then he took the other. Moses walked straight into Robert Frost's poem this morning, down the road not taken. But on the pages just before the poem, Moses' life is looking, well, pretty average, pretty blissfully routine. He left his hometown, he met a girl he likes, he got married, he had a baby, started a new job working for his father-in-law, and is last seen taking the family sheep out for a walk in the hills. Meanwhile, in that same previous chapter, God is depicted as having a rather different kind of day. The cries of an oppressed people have reached divine ears. It's the children of God's friends, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Joseph's family born in Egypt, are now in bondage 
under a new pharaoh who doesn't care about them one bit. The suffering of the Hebrew people has become so intense that God decides to act directly and immediately on their behalf. God comes down from heaven and lands in a bush on Moses' side of the mountain. Now that would be some sight to see. So Moses decided to take the road less traveled, and it made all the difference. On this unexpected day, that road led him straight to God. Now, there are many call stories in Scripture, and each looks as different as the road that it takes to get there. Some receive warm greetings from angels. Others hear a still, small voice. Many dream dreams. Some hear their call within the consensus of community. But Moses' call comes rather directly. Moses, Moses, a voice speaks from the crackling fire and tells him that the ground he's standing on is holy. Moses removes his sandals and he and God are now rooted in the same soil. I have come down in response to the misery and cries of my people, God begins from the bush. So apparently it's not just a voice in the bush on fire. God is here sharing plans to save an oppressed people, and tells Moses that there's something he can do to help. Yet as many of us do in stressful moments, Moses misses the huge cosmic point. God, God is going to save the people. Instead of leading with that in his mind, Moses gets hung up on the last part God brought up, which is asking Moses to do something. Who am I to free the Hebrews from the Egyptians? He asks in angst. I'm just an average guy, a parent, a spouse, working for the family business and out on a morning stroll. This is a lot. And this, well, is this not how we commonly face those unexpected demands the universe sends our way? Whoa, whoa, whoa. As human beings, we are hardwired to resist uncertain outcomes that won't clearly benefit us. But we are also hardwired to be curious and to be flexible and adaptive. Human beings can thrive and grow in the soil bed of the road less traveled if we let go of the idea that we are simply playing a role in a story somebody else has written for us. Your calling is not about just doing whatever God says to do or whatever your community says you should do. It's about deep listening to the voices external and internal. In order to move forward with a call, you must accept that you are a co-creator in becoming something new. Moses made the choice to turn aside on his walk and so God spoke to him. Moses walked toward the unexpected, and unsurprisingly, the unexpected asked something unexpected of him. But Moses backpedals on all that forward movement. The adventure isn't beginning the way he uh, imagined. 
His questions of God point toward a growing reality in himself that if he says yes to God, his life and perhaps his very self will have to change. So he wants to know, why me? Why now? And to these questions, God responds simply, Echia imak, Moses, I will be with you. But that doesn't stop the question wheel spinning in Moses' mind. He wants to know what others are going to say about him if he says that he'll help God. How will others see him? Who is this God asking something of him anyway? Moses says, I, I don't even know your name. And to this request for a name, God speaks those famous words shared only with the divine essence and Popeye the sailor man. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. <laughs> In Hebrew, echia, asher, echia. Echia, echia, echia. Have you noticed the repetition of a Hebrew word yet? I mentioned it earlier. To each question Moses offered, God repeats this word over and over. It shows up six times in the story. Echia means I am. Or at least, that's how many of our English Bibles translate the word, but the translation may be oversimplified. Echia, it's a word that captures every aspect of how you and I understand time, past, present, and future. It means I am, I was, I will be. The translation depends on the sense of time in the context of the story and on the perspective of the translator. Now, Western Christian scholarship seems to overwhelmingly prefer the present tense translation of I am, which I think for us has offered opportunity to philosophize about God's existence, which we love to do. <laughs> but I don't think God was making existential claims about divinity there on the mountainside with Moses and his sheep. <laughs> I'm not sure God was building a logical syllogism as much as God was trying to reassure an anxious man who kept future thinking and stalling with lots of questions. There are Jewish commentators who prefer the future tense translation of Echia, and I agree that there's something to learn about God, about who God is, if we translate I am differently. See, I wonder if when Moses asked God for a name, what God gave him in response was a witty reminder of something God had just said. Moses, I told you I will be with you. I will be. I will be there. Echia, imak, echia, asher, echia. Ask me all the questions you need to, God says, but regardless of what question you ask, my answer will remain the same. No matter what comes next, I will be with you. Why Moses' call story has captured the imagination of people of faith for all these years may not be just because God, because God gives us a name to be called, but because God calls us. And when God calls us, we never move forward alone. Our God is a God who will be there. 
And not just for you or for me, whenever human beings are oppressed, especially by systems of power that seem invisible to others, God sees, God hears whenever suffering people cry out. When people forget the dignity of a person made in divine likeness, when we imagine someone else's story is not our story, that someone else's pain is not my pain, God does not forget to empathize. God remembers each child and feels each person's misery and comes down to deliver, inviting those with enough curiosity to join the cause. When Moses' bare feet touch the holy dirt on which God already stands, divinity and humankind begin to share common ground on which they will build. When God rooted in that bush, God placed a cosmic stake in the earth so that humankind knows if any one of God's children cries out from under the knee of a taskmaster, God is going to show up big time. God knew this moment was the first of many pharaohs who would require divine human forces to join to stop the oppression of other people. I will be there is the very essence of who God will be for humankind throughout time, so much so you might as well call God that. I will be is how God wants to be known for eternity. So if you're ever out walking down a street that you know and you see something out of place, go and turn aside and see the sight as Moses did. It just may be God's call to you from within the shrubbery of your neighborhood. <laughs> and while you're there, if you see or hear something happening in your community that seems out of place, that someone is being forcibly removed from their home or was wrongfully held at gunpoint or because of bigotry or oppression or because of the color of their skin or how much money they make or the sex of their partner or a non-normative expression of their gender identity. Do not freeze out of fear of your own complicity in the invisible system of bigotry. Take a step toward the road less traveled. God sees the oppression and hears the cries of the people with you and promises you won't have to walk this path alone. I will be there. And when it's your time to sit in a hospital room, wringing your hands, awaiting the results of something unseen within your own body or the body of someone you love, God will say to you then, too, no matter what comes next, I will be here with you. <clears throat> when the voice of a friend or relative cries out for your attention, and you're already sleep-deprived and emotionally spent, Having had not one second of self-care in the last few months, you tell yourself, and you don't know how you can find a teaspoon of energy for anyone else, let alone become a container to hold whatever troubles this person has. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy common ground. 
and listen for God's voice to call you and remind you, I will be there with you. Do you ever feel alone? Sitting in a church pew or on the sofa at home or driving your car and you're sure that no one else knows what's really going on inside your own head and heart, what you wrestle with, what you desire, what you most fear and you worry you can't handle life right now on your own. Remember that being with you is who God is and that is true for all time. And even that, we don't have to remember alone. Jesus reminds us in the Gospels all the time as we journey with him. Go into all the world, he tells his disciples. Tell the oppressed the good news. Heal the brokenhearted. Announce freedom for the captives. And remember, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen.